0: Hello and welcome to the Manchester's Red podcast. A bit of festive spirit today. We're just a few days out from Christmas, and I am joined by my colleagues Samuel Lockhurst and Tyrone Marshall. Samuel, how are you today?
1: Not bad, thank you, Stephen. Not bad, thank you.
0: And Ty, how's yourself?
2: Yeah, counting counting down the days till the big man comes, mate. So yeah, not uh, not too bad, thank you.
0: I hope he's uh, I hope he's good when he does arrive, coming down the chimney. Anyways, I'm, I've got my fingers crossed for myself. Um, Samuel, we're going to talk about the referee decisions because obviously United uh, haven't been in action with COVID and it is quite topical at the moment on social media. I'll give you a chance just to delve into it. Um, If anyone hasn't saw it, on Saturday afternoon, um, Martin Atkinson didn't give Newcastle a penalty against Manchester City when, in my opinion, it was. Um, United have history with Martin Atkinson, uh, Ronaldo in 2008, Mourinho in 2017 and Ronaldo at West Ham this year. If I'm correct in saying, I did get that from your opinion piece, Samuel. Or um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's well, wrong, I'm blaming I was, you. I was thinking, in 2008. <laughs> what what the hell was that? Ah, oh, it was uh, Portsmouth. Portsmouth. It? Portsmouth
0: yeah. yeah. Um, so I've done my preparation. <laughs> so what did you think of that decision? And obviously, like I say, United have faced you with them.
1: Well, the, the Alan Shearer was very good on the officials in general. I thought on match of the day too, in terms of the the breakdown of bad decision making across the. I suppose we could say the three games that were played on Sunday, that they got the offside right against Wolves um, when when they scored and had it chalked off against Chelsea. But it was just a very, very strange way of of going about it. I think they clocked it at 23.7 seconds until the flag went up because clearly there was uh, dialogue going on with uh, those at Stockley Park who could see what was going on uh, as to whether uh, there was an offside or not. But I mean, you obviously uh, must feel particularly aggrieved by, by the Atkinson decision at, at Newcastle, where anyone who is just a, a football follower, a, a football person, um, you don't have to have played the game. That's that's a foul. It was a, a very, very clear penalty. And I, I don't think Martin Atkinson in his head is thinking, oh, Gio Cancelo's got the ball, so that's not a penalty. And it's just the, the fact. The camera from behind him showed that he had a very, very clear view of it as he had a clear view at West Ham when he just refused flat out to give Ronaldo a penalty in in either of the two instances in that game. And it's just with Atkinson, there's just an arrogance about him, the way he will just wave away penalty appeals. He he got, you know, he was caught, um, he came cropper, sorry, in the United Arsenal game the other week when... As everyone saw it at the time, it looked like a clear penalty on Fred. And that was probably why Fred wasn't too fussed about it not being given at the time, because it was always, well, it was going to have to be reviewed um, by VAR. And certainly when we're writing pieces from games and writing pieces in the week about it, you're tempted to say VAR overruled the referee, which isn't necessarily the case when they tell them to go to the pitch side monitor. But effectively, that is what they're doing. If, if a referee is told to go to the monitor, they're going to be changing their mind. 99 times out of 100. The only standout exception I can think of was Spurs-Brighton last year when somehow, I think it was Brighton's goal was allowed to stand even though there was a pretty clear foul in the build-up to it and the referee just had too much pride and and, and stood by his original decision. Um, but obviously the Atkinson one was dreadful yesterday. That The Liverpool-Tottenham game was just laden with bad calls by Paul Tierney and... It was quite refreshing that Jurgen Klopp, again, who spoke hell of a lot of sense last week on, on a range of topics, he's not one of these people who covers their mouth trying, so lip readers can't make out what they're saying. He was very, very vocal about his unhappiness with Paul Tin and people could make out what he was saying to the referee specifically. And when even the most mild-mannered of football observers are going on to Twitter and saying how dreadful the standard is, you know there's a fundamental problem. Shearer said it's been the last few weeks, but it has been it's not even been the last few years, it's been the last few decades. It, and certainly in, in all my time watching football, I cannot think of a worse set of referees in the Premier League that, that there's ever been Um You probably saw it as well, Steve, and I I know I'm always loathe to ever mention Richard Keyes, and it's probably the only time I've ever mentioned him on on this podcast, but his little blog entry about Atkinson going spare over um, VAR, overruling him and wanting them not to do it again, I I can well believe, certainly during the West Ham game against United in September, uh, the VAR in that game was a very, very inexperienced referee, and You take the age difference, the lack of experience into account. And maybe some of these referees are just too deferential to referees who should have been put out to pasture a long, long time ago. Atkinson has been refereeing 15 years at least, probably close to 20 years in the Premier League. There used to be a rule in the Premier League that when a referee hit a certain age, they couldn't referee in the Premier League anymore. That was probably scrapped because it was ageist. But I'd be all for bringing it back, really, because the, the current cropage is so, so bad. And that's without even mentioning someone like Mike Dean, who, um, unfortunately, Trent Alexander-Arnold shot last week, just about missed his head.
0: Yeah, I'd just like to say as well, I track. I said the Newcastle game was on Saturday, but it's on Sunday. I was obviously, Lovely. I lost my head there. So I was teeing up that point. Um, Ty, obviously, um, Samuel's just touched upon it. The Liverpool game as well, there was a few bad decisions in that. Um, what should fans think of this kind of standard of refereeing? What do you think the solution is?
2: It's very hard to know what a solution is because presumably if there are any decent referees in the football league that have been promoted, because Samuel's right, and I've been banging this drum on Twitter for years, this is the worst crop of referees I can remember. If the worst crop of referees in any of Europe's top leagues, they are consistently dreadful. You get a lot of, um, I was going to say referee apologies, probably not the right word, but people saying Klopp's outburst yesterday, it doesn't help the image of selling refereeing to young people. and. You know, maybe that's correct, but you can understand it. Obviously, the abuse that referees get at grassroots level is, by all accounts, pretty unsavoury and is an issue. But somehow, it's got to be made a more attractive career. I mean, by all accounts, the money in it is phenomenal. So, if you reach the top, the money must be great. It can't be that hard to reach the top at the moment, to be honest. Um, a couple of years should do it. I'd have thought if you start now. Um, I think I'll change know, well. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the standard is consistently poor, and it is. And when we, when they've the hardest thing. You often get now, because a lot of people are so anti-VAR, people blame VAR for it. The technology is not the problem. It's the people using the technology that is the problem. Ideally, we'd have decisions made by robots because that they can't be any worse than than these officials. And it's the you know, the the explanations given as well. Like Newcastle didn't get a penalty because Cancelo had the ball. I mean, it's completely irrelevant. The guy's just been wiped out by Edison. Um, Fraser, wasn't it? And the, the excuse in the Ripple game that um Kane didn't get a card because Robertson was jumping. And it's like, well, why is he jumping? Because the tackle's coming in with force and it just, you just look at it and you think, how are they making these decisions? How are they watching these games and coming up with these decisions? And it is, it is completely bonkers. And we've been going on about it for years. And for a league, you know, the, the Premier League is undoubtedly the best league in Europe at the moment. It's got the best managers. It's getting the best players. It's going to provide the Champions League winners more years than not at the moment. You know, everything about this league is box office at the moment, apart from the standard of refereeing, but there seems to be no desire from the Premier League to, to do anything about it. Um, I mean, the only new referee I can think of this year is that Aussie, Jared Gillette, um, who, I don't know if anyone's seen his, his clip when he was mic'd up on um, Australian coverage for his last game, and he came across brilliantly, to be fair, when he was mic'd up. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe recruiting, we recruit the best players and the best managers, so maybe we just need to start recruiting the best refs and, Buy a few refs from Italy and Germany to, to replace the likes of Atkinson and Dean, who were somehow somehow still getting gigs.
0: It'd make the transfer windows a bit more interesting it, <laughs> if, yeah, the refs there as well. Um, Samuel Ty just called the referee and bonkers there, and probably what is bonkers as well is we might be in lockdown um, two years after, obviously, the original one, which is pretty yeah. mental to think. Um, obviously, there have been rising COVID cases. Um, Brentford and Brighton, the games were postponed. Um, Premier League clubs are meeting today to discuss a circuit breaker how realistic do you think that is and do you think we're set for it
1: i would hesitate to say we're set for it i think there have got to be scale backs um on on the fixture list and by the sounds of things there aren't going to be any FA cup replays which we should all be delighted about because the prospect of united having to go to villa park uh, had that if they were to draw um, their third round game would would have been preposterous under under any circumstances really in, in a world without a pandemic it should have been Premier League replays in the FA Cup should have been scrapped a long, long time ago. I think when United and Tottenham drew each other in the fourth round in 2009, there were some rumours that it was almost as if like, the clubs were discussing just settling the game on the day because Tottenham had a massive fixture pile-up and that was the season that United had the Super Cup and they were in the Club World Cup in Japan as well, so they were playing catch-up with their fixture list. Um, but then the clubs I think came out and said, "Oh no, we weren't discussing that whatsoever." Even though they probably were. So uh, scrapping replays would make hell of a lot of sense, I think, going forward. The, the lower league clubs, non-league clubs, they need to be safeguarded. If if they're in the draw and they get a replay, they should have a replay. That that could make the world of difference to them. It, it makes little to no difference to Premier League clubs uh, when when United and Wolves. Predictably and unfortunately, drew nil nil at Molyneux, What was it, nearly two years ago? And I mean, we all knew it was coming. You can't go too long without Man United Wolves games. Uh, but the replay Wolves hardly took up their full allocation. It did not feel like an FA Cup game. Um, you get better atmospheres for, for League Cup games, uh, I think, than, than FA Cup matches that are held uh, at evening kickoffs. So that would be sensible. The fact that we had three games in the Premier League on Sunday uh, was a godsend It, it for people's structure. Uh, you know, Sundays, any day without football, as we all discovered during the, the first lockdown, um, they, they were just, you know, everyone felt bereft. Any, any football follower who loves, loves football, whether it be watching it at home or going to games, you felt bereft. It was it was just eerie, particularly that Easter. Easter is synonymous with football as, as Christmas is, I think, and we, we didn't have any of it. And I think the Premier League will resist that. If if you want to, if, if I'm to speak like a you know a company person, the product yesterday was was fabulous. That game between Tottenham and Liverpool was just enthralling from end to end. Probably up until the red card, it, it quietened down after that, and they it almost just meandered to a draw for those last 15 minutes. But it was just a scintillating game. Probably the best game I've, I've seen all year. Certainly, certainly the best game in the Premier League this year. And Gary Neville touched upon it saying that you know we, everyone needed this really and and the players were enjoying it the fans were enjoying it and the prospect of having no football for a period of time whether it's weeks or months is just anathema to everyone who who watches it. So I think yesterday might have strengthened the Premier League's case and looking at it from a united centric perspective the the players who've contracted covid will be out of isolation um Probably before the weekend, a lot of them maybe maybe at the weekend, but they they should all be out of isolation by the time that this or uh, well, sorry the majority of them should be out of isolation by the time this Newcastle game comes along uh, on Monday, and really United are probably just at the mercy of Newcastle suffering an outbreak, which is entirely possible. Hopefully it doesn't happen. You know, you you could make the joke that Newcastle would welcome um, a spread in their squad, given their form. But obviously Newcastle fans, you know, evening game day after Boxing Day at St. James's Park against Man United, that that is a hell of an occasion to relish. And hopefully, God willing, it does go ahead And, and United should have enough players available. And when you look at Chelsea's argument for a postponement against Wolves, it just didn't stack up. If if that game had been postponed and then the story got out as to those players being available for that game, the, the story would have been how the hell was this allowed to be postponed? Because they although they only named six players on the bench, I think it was, and they've probably clearly and, and consciously made the effort not to have under 23s mixing in the first team bubble. So they're not, you know, they they are not um at risk of, of catching COVID but the players they had that game should have gone ahead and it did go ahead and that's the grey area we're in at the moment the, the premier league is gradually becoming more transparent on a on a game by game basis but there has to be you know a set of guidelines in place and a certain alacrity to respond when a Premier League club does say, "Oh, we've we've had an outbreak here," even on the radio yesterday, I think it was Rachel Finnis Brown, um, the former England women's goalkeeper. She was the only one who's actually clued up and said, "Oh, it's it's fourteen players you need." The, the presenter and, and and the other pundit on Five Live didn't actually know how many players you needed, as per the the Premier League handbook. So. Um, you know, we're, we're educating ourselves all the time with this this situation because it's such a unique situation. But given the amount of postponements there were last week, and the timing of some of those games, I, I'd be cautiously optimistic of games being played on Boxing Day and the 27th. But I think it's probably a stretch to expect all of those games to go ahead.
0: I think it's quite interesting as well. I think Newcastle and Manchester United have the lowest double vaccination rates, I think, or among them in the Premier League. So that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on in the coming yeah. weeks. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ty, Norwich was the last game, um, 1-0 at Carroll Road, and then Newcastle are going to come 16 days later. Um, is it a bit of a stupid question to ask how fresh United will be? Because we don't know how the players have been affected. Mm. Some would have took it worse than others. What do you think the preparation? Obviously, we don't know what it'll be like, maybe a day or two. What are we going to expect at St James's Park?
2: Uh, very hard to say, really. Um, you know, it's it's not just the players who've had it that are gonna be affected. There's some no doubt who are in isolation. And you know, as we can vouch for, when you're just sitting around all day, it's it's hard to get into into prime physical shape, really. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> There's you know, it, it is gonna affect players in different ways. There is gonna be catch up to be had. Obviously, United's training ground has has been closed the last few days. They'll be back in training, I would imagine relatively soon if they're if they're going to play that Newcastle game but like someone says those players affected and, and the ones forced into isolation will only be back probably later in the week really um so it is it is very difficult to say how people would be affected some some of those who, who were affected will probably have no symptoms will be absolutely fine going to Newcastle some may be affected longer obviously Dean Henderson had it in the summer in and it took him a while to to get over it and and get that feeling of fitness again so It's very hard to say because everyone is is seems to be affected in in different ways and like i said then you've got the possibility of of newcastle having an outbreak um it seems to have got away relatively easily i guess at the moment in in terms of this current outbreak um i'm not sure omicron's made its way to the northeast yet but it's probably only a only a matter of time um so it is it is just really hard to say how how teams are going to be affected and and you know, the season has to continue. The only the only worthwhile reason for doing a, a fire break is if there's going to be a huge uptake in jabs and boosters amongst players, and it doesn't seem as going to be. So if the players aren't going to do that, then if we put the season on hold, what what's the intention there? To, to play again when case numbers have dropped? Because that could be two months down the line, and by then the season's over. There's just not the leeway in the calendar to make up that sort of time. So I don't really see that, that's a possibility at the moment if things get worse in January maybe but as we've said the fact the fact that next season starts in the first week of August and it's the World Cup in November and December basically gives you no leeway for the end of this season so the season has to finish at the end of May so I think any any move to put the season on pause I think you you know within a couple of weeks of that you're already looking at potentially just saying this season's done we're not going to get it in so I think it's it's right to try and continue and, and try and plough on. There needs to be some kind of clarity over postponements and and what's going on with postponements because I think that's you know that's causing an issue and I think that's probably causing an issue amongst clubs as well. We're seeing some teams have games postponed and then some not. And you know, Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel made the case yesterday that they wanted it called off on health and safety grounds. You can understand that it's obviously very hard to argue against health and safety grounds when it's brought up in that manner. But Chelsea field did a squad with 10 internationals. And even if it was a six man bench with two goalkeepers, there was four more international outfield players on the bench. So that's a squad that should be good enough to beat Wolves. The fact of the matter is Chelsea are in poor yeah. form and would do with a break. Um, so as, as hard as it is to argue against health and safety matters, that that's what I've just done. But I think yeah, there needs to be some kind of clarity on, on what it takes to get games postponed, because I'm sure we haven't got that clarity. And I, I would imagine that some of those games postponed over the last few weeks, squads have probably been, there probably has been 14, 15 players available to play and it's still been called off. And obviously there's more issues going into this, such as when training grounds are shut and there just needs to be some more clarity on on why games are called off and and what it takes to get games called off and how it can be avoided, really, because... Another issue it's having is the sort of skewing of the, the table. I think Tottenham are three games behind now. United are two games behind some teams. So if there's more postponements to come, it's it's also going to make the table very, very confusing.
0: What would your message yeah. be tied to, sorry, Samuel, to United players that haven't took up the double, double job?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, my message would be just come and get it done. I mean, we don't know know how many of them listen to this. Presumably, all of the squad listen to it. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: But yeah, just what are you waiting for? And and go and get it done. I don't, you know, I I can't understand the hesitancy. Now, I think it's an embarrassment to the English game, really, when you look at the vaccination rates in Italy and Spain and Germany. And I mean, the Premier League haven't released figures since October when it was sixty-eight percent. DFL said last week that one in four players don't plan on getting the vaccine. I mean, that's just absolutely mind-boggling to me.
1: And especially, especially with the EFL, you consider the financial jeopardy players are in at yeah. that level. That, I mean, as Gerard said, Villa are likely to throw in vaccination, um, uptake into mm-hmm. transfer discussions with prospective players. In the EFL, you. you I just can't understand it, really. It's such a cutthroat environment for professionals, whatever they're standing, in terms of moving from club to club, that if you're risking that, then you're risking income and livelihood.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I think it's the case that players are going to have to start, players who aren't jabbed are going to be isolating. And if you're isolating for two weeks through something that is your own choice, but the reasons against it are, are pretty tepid arguments, then just don't get paid. You know, Bayern Munich took that approach and Kimmich has obviously changed his mind. So i I think there might be stronger actions from clubs and it is just it is baffling when all their you know the medical departments at every club will be urging players to get jabbed they've you know they've had the captains and premier players have had one-on-one meetings with Patrick Vallance about this and why it's good to get jabbed we don't get that luxury yet they do and still they're not doing it so it doesn't make any sense and there was a good um uh, a good piece in the telegraph this weekend by Sam Wallace that a few you may have seen talking back to when players were about was it 12 years ago now when they went to the Serbian healer using horse meat to try and heal oh, and yeah. calf injuries and hamstring injuries and players are willing to do that but when you've got every medical advisor in the country telling you to get a vaccine they're not so sure and it's just Was it horse, horse
1: placenta? Diego placenta. Placenta. yeah in the yeah, Champions League final yeah. and then he lasted yeah, about five minutes that So, was
2: it. so <laughs> horse placenta good vaccines tested and approved by everyone bad seemingly so yeah there's some very strange decisions going mm-hmm. on in dressing rooms Yeah
0: Back on the pitch, Samuel, I wanted to ask you about Arsenal, who obviously played this weekend and, and went away and beat uh, beat Leeds. They've moved up the fourth, the guaranteed that spot across Christmas. Um, there were a few points ahead of United. Do you see them as a credible threat to United for that top four position? If all the listeners go and see, but Samuel's laughing, here. he's chuckling away. Like. Yeah,
1: it's it's just just the the word credible and Arsenal in this word <laughs> <credible and laughs> in of, It's still difficult not to laugh at it, but given the context, then I think the answer has to be yes. They they seem to have the making four or five players there uh, could spearhead them into that. You know, a good they they've got the makings of a good side there with the right recruitment next year. um Martinelli, Tierney, obviously Saka and and Emil Smith Rowe are very very good players. I think Martinelli is obviously he, he started quite well, then he went quiet, but he's picked up again. Saka and and Smith Rowe have, have done very well. Ramsdale's been an excellent signing so far, possibly the the goalkeeper of the season. I'm still hesitant to say he's an outright good goalkeeper. He, he's still got to do it for a lot longer than than three months, whatever it's been. Um, this is still someone who, who got relegated uh, in successive seasons with two clubs and was a big, big reason for why Sheffield United went down last season. But despite all that, he has been a very good signing so far for Arsenal and they've got the momentum. They've, they've managed to um, have their games over the last week. Uh, the, the West Ham win was a pretty good win, given that West Ham were have been going very well this season and, I mean, playing against Leeds, if you're switched on, it's it's a doddle. We've all seen that. There's there's a reason why Pep Guardiola gushes about Marcelo Bielsa and these other coaches um, with a, a niche following. It's because he finds it extremely easy to play against them and batter them. Um, I think the last time that he'd come up against Bielsa before the Premier League last season was in the Copa del Rey final when Athletic Bilbao were extremely hyped up going into it. And what happened? Barcelona wiped them 3-0. So back to Arsenal though they, they've they've clearly got momentum, but as we saw at Old Trafford after they went one 0 up, they just thought, well United are, are poor, we're we're in the ascendant. We're, our form is good, and, and they just became complacent and, and United deservedly won the end. I thought Arteta was completely deluded after that game when he was saying that Arsenal deserved more from it. So they, they can easily. Um, Hit the reset button and and regress. It, it doesn't take very long at all. Tottenham are, are maybe just as interesting if if they get up to speed and build on the performance against Liverpool because when Son and Kane are on form, they are they're probably two world class forwards. Uh, they were they were both in the team of of the year for last season. Conte is going to improve them. It's just a question of to what extent that he's going to improve them, whether they do win anything. I mean, talk of them being title challengers at any point is extremely premature to say the least. It's not going to happen with that set of players, but he's getting them in the right direction and they've got a coach that, you know, that they could, they can get behind there. They, that was never, ever the case with Nuno Espirito Santo. But in fairness to Arteta after that chasing start at, at the start of the season, um, he's he, he's got Unite sorry, he's got Arsenal going again. And as I said, in terms of some of the recruitment that he's made there, I know they've they've had stick for certain signings like William, who by all accounts was just an absolute disaster, but they've made other signings there that have done pretty well so far. But as I said, it wasn't too long ago that Arsenal got battered by Liverpool, shipped three goals at a pretty despondent United side but they've they've picked up again all of a sudden
0: yeah and if we move to the January window now Ty which is obviously just two weeks away and we've kind of covered on the pitch issues um what's United's priority do you think is it a midfielder is it selling Jesse Lingard or kind of getting rid of Phil Jones what can we kind of expect from uh from that window hello yeah exactly Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's um I was I suppose Ideally, it's probably signing a holding midfielder. I think it was obvious they needed one in the summer, really. And the fact they're trying to correct it now says a lot, really. I mean, the only generally, the only clubs that spend money in January are somewhere between the desperate and the damned. And I'm looking at you there, Newcastle. <laughs> um, but, you know, United is probably an acceptance that they should have signed a midfielder in January. They are a little bit shorter numbers there, I guess. Um, I don't think Van der Beek is... is close to playing that holding role. I don't think Pogbo's going to stand a chance of playing that holding role under Ranić. So it is Fred McTominay and and Matic. So you you can understand why Ranić could want one more. I think anything more than that is almost impossible in in, in a January market. And touched on it last week that the issue is going to be that if if the season continues into January, but we're still having mass outbreaks, then clubs are going to be very reluctant to, to let players go. Um, you know, people like, players like Lingard and Martial and van der Beek, who might all be looking at January and thinking, there's a World Cup in a year's time, I need to be playing. Might find that United don't don't want to let them go outside, especially if it's only alone, because they could be needed if United suddenly get, you know, if they get seven or eight COVID cases, but it's not enough to have a postponement, and Martial and Lingard aren't one of them, they could soon find themselves starting or in a very prominent squad role at the very least. So I think amongst Premier League clubs, there'll be a reluctance to let players leave. So I'm not sure... We'll see any departures from from United necessarily, or, or any real Premier League clubs. But you know, if they can sign a holding midfielder, I think it will certainly make a difference. It does feel like the squad kind of in a state of flux going into the summer. You know, there's a lot of players that that are going to want to leave to play more often. We know Lingard and Cavani are probably certainties to go with their contract up. Pogba could go. Van der Beek is going to want to go and play first team football. Martial is. Henderson is. So there's, there's a lot of issues there of players who want to leave that that might need replacing. So if they can at least get some business done in January, it might take the pressure off come the summer when they could have a new manager as well trying to sign five or six players.
0: Yeah. So I know you wrote a line today um, leading on for that, obviously, on the, the holding midfielder search. What kind of player can you do you think United will be interested Obviously, there's been some names linked there. Uh, Jude Bellingham last year, Amadou Hadzara since ranyuk's arrival. Are either of them names realistic, really, do you think, Um, in this January or summer?
1: United are quite conscious that although they would like to do business in January for the right profile of player, which has pretty much been their, their mantra for the last few years, they're, they're realistic about it. And realistically, it's very difficult to see them making a significant um, starry signing, if, if "starry" is the right word, or, or a player of, of a certain repute, Haidara. You know, people, some people would argue, is a player of of, of repute. He's playing the Champions League with with RB Leipzig. Starry, maybe not. Um, Bellingham, I, I, don't, I can't see I can't see that happening in January. I, I think Dortmund might be able to get another, maybe another eighteen months out of Bellingham if they're lucky. You know, the, the way they operate, it it would probably be that Haaland is the Main player sale of, of 2022, and then it's Bellingham in in 2023. Yeah, I think unless they've they're at a point of financial Armageddon, which they're not, though at least one of those players will be there um, in in 2023. But as I said, it's very 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 rarely happens that there's a real standout signing that takes place in January. E- even with Bruno Fernandez, he although he's been a brilliant player for United by and large. He was playing at Sporting Lisbon at the time and Manchester City and Tottenham both had opportunities to sign him in the summer just before that as well and, and didn't take them. So he'd been on the market for quite some time, even though he'd signed a contract in the November, just, just before January. Uh, Alexis Sanchez was was a headline move, but he, he was coming to the end of his contract at Arsenal um, and Henrik Mkhitaryan was, was the make-weight in that deal. Um, In terms of midfielders, specific holding midfielder or defensive midfielder, it's very, 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 very difficult to pin down one that is going to go into that team and have a huge impact between now and the end of the season. And and the key is the the word that Rangnick used, which was sustainable. A lot of clubs will be making signings in January that are not sustainable, as, as we've discussed before, the situation Newcastle are in at the moment there are going to be clauses aplenty in certain players' contracts that they will try to sign because they're going to have to chuck money at the problem. There's a very good chance that they're going to get relegated. Those players are not going to want to be playing championship football next season, even though they might be earning a hell of a lot of money. Um depending on the profile of player, there there could be a a break clause um, if if they do get relegated. And also what tends to happen is when a team gets relegated, uh, players' salaries are are reduced quite significantly as well. So although that would make sense for the current bunch at Newcastle, it's not going to make much sense for a player who would be looking to possibly be on the move in January and might be considering a a move there at all. So ideally, the time for United to do it would be in the summer. As Ty has touched upon Clubs have got deliberately larger squads to try and contend with COVID. Um, United squad last season was was really really bloated. It still is. Unfortunately, they didn't have they didn't have an outbreak at all. That was just the time when the coaching staff uh, had to isolate. I think in February. But in terms of the playing staff, apart from isolated cases, there was no outbreak because of the the strict bubble and the protocols and the fact we were in lockdown for what felt like all of last season as well. So it it was pretty easy not to suffer a a COVID-19 outbreak, which isn't the case at the moment, whilst life is continuing as it is at the moment. Um, So although United genuinely do want a, a midfield signing in January, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if they don't sign one. What Anthony Marshall's agent was saying about him wanting to leave in January the other week that was almost given advance notice to clubs who would think who would be considering signing him. But I can't see how he goes permanently. Um, as as I wrote last week, Jesse Lingard, I don't think he's in any hurry to go in January. Um, Paul Pogba certainly isn't either. These players would would have the pick of the lot if you like in the summer, and if that means foregoing a spell of football, then then so be it. I think in Lingard's case, if if a genuinely enticing offer came in. That was the right club, and United were happy with the fee. Then he'd have to be tempted to take that because he's still not—he still has not started a Premier League game for United since New Year's Day in 2020. And although there is maybe a little bit more room for him in, in Rangnick's setup and the way United play in that new four-two-two-two formation, um, there are still players ahead of him in the queue, and it's difficult to see him getting in with with everyone available, which obviously isn't the case at the moment but uh, i don't think he was uh, accounted for at the training ground on wednesday when some of those players did turn up and unfortunately for him at the start of the season he contracted covid and according to Ole Solskjaer, he was going to start the season had he had he not contracted covid uh, so I, I can see a scenario where it might be a quiet january for united even though they, they do need to be active, certainly with the outgoings. And if you're able to generate funds um, with outgoings, that certainly strengthens your hand um, when it comes to going for a midfielder. And they absolutely need a midfielder next year. Matic has come to the last 18 months of his contract. Van der Beek, you don't really regard him as a number six, even though he can play there and he might end up playing there under Rangnick. But it's mainly McTominay and Fred, particularly as Pogba is... A, traditionally if United anyway, he's it's very difficult to recall performances, uh, good performances had for United whilst playing in, in a deeper role. His his better performances have come where he's been a little bit more advanced. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think we'll just leave it there then, guys. I think we've hit all the main points from the week. Um and hopefully we'll see some better refereeing when football resumes across Christmas. Yes. Hopefully. I'll, I'll come come the football. Yeah, exactly. I fingers crossed. Um Samuel, thanks yeah. for your time today.
1: Thanks, Stephen. Merry Thank Christmas. You. If I don't hear from you before uh well, what, you're off for a few days now, you say, saying? Yes, say, I am. Uh, yeah. I wish you a Merry Christmas now. Fortunately, you don't have
0: to talk to us for a few days, yeah. So, no, but thanks for asking <laughs> <having>, Hi, uh, <laughs> thanks for the time. Yes,
2: thanks, Stephen. Season's greetings and all that.
0: Of course. And to the listeners, have a fantastic Christmas and stay safe. Um, we might be back later on the week, but take care. Thank you.